This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey everybody, welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. Today, we're talking about decreeing and declaring healing. It's going to be an exciting program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick? And how do we interpret tongues? And should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. You might have noticed, hey, that's a new intro video. Well, we finally added Michael Miller as a co-host to the show. So I'm sure he's excited to finally be considered a co-host on the program. Uh, it's it's glad I'm glad glad to finally do it. But uh, you guys are watching Remnant Radio. If you're uh, watching right now and you you want to support the channel, there are links in the description for you to do that. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal or a reoccurring gift on Patreon. If you choose to give on Patreon, you get access to extra content as low as five bucks a month. Some of that extra content can be like testimony videos from our conference. You saw that last clip in that intro video. Uh, has us, had Michael Miller praying for people at our conference. Um, you can check out some of those testimonies there. Uh, also, we will be releasing some of the sermons that got recorded there as well uh, on Patreon. Without further ado, let me introduce you to my partners in crime. I've already introduced you all in that intro video. I don't even have to introduce you guys anymore. You're both named <laughs> with photos. I like. Yeah, I, I feel I like, do it. I I feel like Miller's you. name just needs to be Basement Boy, like in the intro. And Basement <laughs> Boy from Denver, Colorado. Miller, what do you think of that? Hey, you know what? I'm just glad I'm finally included. You know, I've been down here just suffering right away in this dank, dark, damp dank. basement. And dank. Bro, that's yeah. that's yeah. like a misuse of of young people speak. Uh but Miller no. Miller's always he's always had a nickname. Like before Basement Boy, it was hats. <laughs> like put it back on Miller. Okay. So you did an episode we did an episode like a few weeks ago where you didn't wear a hat and people were like, You have a hair. So it's not like you're covering <laughs> up a lack of hair. You, you have a very everybody should be wearing hair. a hat for that reason. Show it's us me. Show us your hair, Miller, just so we can you believe mean, that you have it. See it's it so in all its glory. See. There it is. It's in a dishonor. Glory. There it is. See this? <laughs> I kept the feathers just for you guys. Hold on. Dishonor, like you need a head covering, maybe. Oh, too far. Okay, here we go, guys. Let's let's get this show on track for people who are still watching after three minutes of stupid banter. Uh, let's talk about healing and decreeing and declaring healing. A uh, bit of a debate on the subject of praying for the sick folk because Jesus and the apostles don't do a ton of praying for sick folk. So some argue, hey, healing's in the atonement. We should follow the model and pattern of Jesus and the apostles. Therefore, we shouldn't pray for sickness. We should decree and declare it. Before we do that, kind of dive into some of those nitty gritties of that. Uh, maybe want to let you know about a show that we did back in, well, I have the date written here. It's in November of 2021. 
uh, called Decreeing and Declaring, where we kind of unpack uh, psychological certainty is not a synonym for faith. They're not the same thing. Uh, we, we talk about the ontology of speaking things into existence. It's not something we have as humans. We don't get to declare things into existence. Uh, if we use our speech to control the universe, that's dangerously too close to the definition of witchcraft. So we don't want to do that. You can go check out that video. Uh, it's called Decrees, Declares, and Positive Confession. Now, that has a lot to do with just speaking things out, and it doesn't have specifically to do with healing. The subject of healing does need to be handled, I think, differently just because um, there is a lot of biblical evidence of people declaring things to happen without praying for them to happen when it comes to the gift of healing. So we thought, hey, we need to do a completely different episode on this subject. Anything I missed, guys, you all want to help, help tee up the conversation with? Uh, man, I think I think you nailed it. Definitely go back and watch that episode from no November 17th about decreeing and declaring and, and positive confession. For sure, but I, I think let's uh, let's jump right in. Uh, Josh, you want to maybe start us out with that conversation about Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones? Yeah, so uh, biblical decreeing—it's a thing. We we see people in the Bible decreeing and declaring things. Uh, Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones, is a good example. Another example would be like Moses and Aaron. Um, in the story of Moses and Aaron, uh, God talks to Moses and he's like, "Hey, look, how cool is this? Uh, you've got your own little prophet. He speaks for you, uh, just like you speak for me." Um, and he's kind of creating this parallel that when we decree things, when we declare things, when we say things, we're doing them on behalf of God. Uh, and frankly, when you prophesy, you're, you're kind of doing that in a sense that you're carried about by the Lord. So in the Bible, there are moments where you see prophets decreeing and declaring things, but they're not doing it of their own ontology. It's like a delegated authority. It's a God is saying, this is what's going to happen. And in the story of dry bones, Ezekiel gets asked by God, can, can these bones live? And he's like, I don't know, Lord, but, but you know. And then the Lord says like, hey, speak to the bones. So he starts decreeing. He starts declaring to the bones and they come alive, right? So um, those kinds of decree-like things happen throughout the Bible. And those are perfectly acceptable. We're not denying the fact that we can speak uh, God can speak through uh, members of his covenant community, whether that's Old Testament Israel or New Testament saints. Um, both can speak for God in that regard. Um, but we shouldn't speak presumptuously and say that, hey, you know, this, I I'm going to declare this as God's will when we know that it's not God's will or we're not sure if it's God's will. Uh, it should be spoken um, on behalf of God. God is sovereign. We don't get to decree and declare what we want. Um, in addition to that, there's probably in the Bible um, something to be said about speech of blessing and curses that seems to be different than decreeing and declaring uh, that I have to have pause because if it was going to be up to me and I was going to create these really strict theological categories, I'd be I'd be careful when talking about blessing and cursing because the New Testament or the Old Testament in particular speaks of blessing and cursing in ways that it appears that our speech has some kind of power um, it doesn't have sovereignty. It can't control the universe. And yet, um, saints in the Old Testament blessed people with things that seemed to happen, and they cursed people with things that also seemed to happen. And there's no evidence that God was the one ordaining the blessing or the cursing per se. So like Noah, you know, gets drunk and naked, and then his kids, you know, cover him like Canaan comes in, which I think is Ham, but he, he goes by two different names in Genesis. Um, but he, he comes in, he sees his father, something weird happens there. Not really exactly sure what's happening, but probably some kind of lustful, weird thing happened. And then Shem and Japheth come in and cover up his father. 
And then when his father comes to after his drunken stupor goes, hey, blessed be Sham, blessed be Japheth and curse that Canaan dude. And his curse seems to stick and the blessing seems to stick. And uh, Abraham blesses Isaac, Isaac blesses Jacob. Right. But he he does it accidentally. It's not even like if it was God speaking through him and he thought he was blessing Isaac, but accidentally blesses another kid. Um, it's just kind of a, or Isaac blesses Jacob rather than Esau, I suppose, as I'm getting my stories mixed up. Um, he, he does it accidentally. So it's not by like divine power, you know, from the Holy Spirit to bless a specific kid. Like he's, he's laying his hands on the wrong kid, you know. Um, Jacob blesses Pharaoh, but he also blesses Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, switches his hands. This one is going to outgrow that one. That could be prophetic, but again, he's just giving a blessing. Uh, we're told in Luke 10 and Matthew 20 to leave blessings of peace with homes that we go when we preach the gospel to, uh, that their peace would rest on those places. And then the curses, uh, again, are curses like you know uh, uh, Noah ble- uh, cursing Canaan, but also the story in 1 Samuel 14 where Saul curses anyone who eats honey, and then Joseph goes out and eats, not Joseph, uh, Jonathan, his son, goes out and eats honey, and he receives an actual curse on himself. So there are these stories throughout the Bible where the blessings that these patriarchs speak, they stick, and and the curses that they speak seem to stick as well. Uh, So it's an interesting, and it's an interesting place that I don't think is decreeing and declaring. I don't think it's speaking things into existence, but it's somewhere in between, and frankly, I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't have like a theological category for it. If you guys want to take a moment to take a stab at that, feel I free. I want to take a stab. I want to take a stab. So basically, to death, because where we're trying to go, I think where where you're you're trying to go with this is like, you know, can we just go around willy nilly decreeing and declaring? And if as long as we have enough faith, like, hey, we can move in that kind of authority. You know, sometimes we hear the language, uh, you know, your words create worlds. Like Genesis chapter 1, God used his words and he created the world or worlds, whatever. Uh, but the, that's the statement. And so, uh, and so we can go around and decreeing and declaring in like manner. And of course, there are lots of New Testament verses. And Josh, you walked through some of them uh, that are along those lines of, of decreeing things. You know, the, the fig tree is cursed and, you know, pronouncing a healing and so on. And so, um, so then, Josh, when you start to walk into some of the story of Genesis, and uh, so you've got Joseph, and uh, and and when uh, Ephraim and Manasseh are blessed, uh, Jacob's or Israel's same th- same person hands are crossed, and he uh, and he blesses the younger one ahead of the older one. Well, what I want to point out is that is the same thing that happens with Jacob, Jacob being the younger one, the second twin that comes out, uh, and Esau being the firstborn uh, twins, but Esau came, comes out first. And so, and so it becomes like this theme in Genesis. And one of the overwhelming themes of Genesis is that of providence. I mean, just, I mean, it's all throughout, threaded throughout Genesis, little things like um, Jacob, or sorry, Joseph is with his family for the first 17 years, uh, of, of his life. And then for the last 17, and then, or I said, Jacob is with Joseph for the first 17 years of his life. And then he's with them again for the last 17 years of his life. I mean, I, I think it's factually true, but the author's also trying to show the symmetry of like from beginning to end in the story, uh, of Genesis, is God's providence. God is orchestrating all of these events. The Holy Family 
is disintegrating, it's falling apart, but the sovereign God who chooses Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he, he is controlling the narrative even when it looks like everything's falling apart. And so here's where I'm going with that. Um, the fact that the younger one is cho chosen over the older one in both of those scenarios is, is meant to further communicate that, hey, even though your culture says the older one gets the inheritance, God says, I am not bound by culture. I am bound by myself alone. I, I am in the heavens and I do as I please, Psalm 115.3. And so I would say it's actually a manifestation of divine sovereignty, divine providence. And, and while um, Jacob's deception, is, uh, as well as Rebecca's deception that was kind of in there too, uh, it, it, while that's in there, and uh, it's like God is God is sovereign even over the deception, and and even if um, it, with Jacob, even uh, whenever he like switches his hands over, e even though there's no nothing in the text that that like shows like, and Jacob did this to um, providentially of his own human or, or not providentially of his own human autonomy choose which one would be blessed. Like it, like it doesn't have that kind of of wording where I'm going with this is it's like, even if humans have some kind of agency, God is behind it. Okay. Humans clearly have agency in deceiving, but God is behind it. So I would say, Josh, rather than point to human autonomy, what this shows is that even supposed human autonomy, such as Jacob's deception comes within the theme of God's providence, that he's weaving a story of his own choosing and he's not bound by cultural norms. So I don't think this can be used for humans autonomously going around and blessing. Yeah, as they but Michael, like that saying that God is sovereign doesn't really change those passages, though, any more than someone got saved because Stephen prayed that God would have mercy on them as they're stoning him, you know, and then God, I think, uses that prayer to save Paul. Like, I don't think that 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 negates Stephen's autonomy anymore or or that his prayer didn't do anything because God would have saved Paul anyway. Um, I don't know that that saying, um, you know, that Jacob accidentally did something that he was not he was not actively participating or aware of what he was doing or the fact that Noah is barely getting up from a drunken stupor. Like, I don't think that God is caring Noah about, nor do I think that God is caring about um, uh, the patriarchs as they're blessing their children necessarily. Uh, do I think that God is sovereign over all of it? Absolutely. Um, do I believe that this displays his grain narrative? Yeah, totally. But I don't think that we can say because God is sovereign, it doesn't matter what they did or how they how they acted and spoke blessings or curses. And I don't think yeah, that's what I'm you're saying, saying either. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I'm saying that like in the case of Stephen and, and praying for Paul, like what you mentioned, like, I don't think providence is like the primary theme of that section. It's present, but it's, but what I am saying is that like, it's actually like a huge theme, like, like the author's trying to drive this home. So I, it, I'm not suggesting that human agency doesn't matter. It doesn't come into play. I'm, I'm suggesting that the point of the author of Genesis is God is the one who drove this, not Jacob with his deception and not so uh not jacob with crossing his hands over like each time Ed, it's it's god who's driving so i'm i'm saying that it's an actual it, it's not just like present but it's actually the driving theme of the text 
if that makes let, sense. let me get some clarity and, and maybe offer some pushback but would you say the same for cursing then that cursing really doesn't happen unless God's sovereignty is behind it like in the first Samuel 14 passage that we mentioned earlier with the Saul of or sorry the curse of Saul uh, landing on Jonathan because he ate the honey even unknowingly because um, I, I, I don't know I kind of I, there's this part of me that wonders uh, if you were to ask the question, where does the power to bless and curse come from? And uh, and it, is that is that given to the patriarchs? Is that given to fathers of families? Is that given to just the people of God? Um, and and it, I mean, or is it given to those with the spirit of God? Because Saul, this is you know when he issues that curse, it happens prior to. Um, the spirit departing from Saul. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I have more questions yeah, on this particular a, topic I mean, than I have answers. Can I, yeah. can I even like toss some more into that before Michael responds? Cause I think the beginning, like when God speaks to Abraham, he says, Hey, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse those who curse you. So God in that passage, I think pre singles out Abraham of blessing and cursing that non covenant members, non non believers, right. Are going to be cursing and blessing Abraham. Now, obviously, blessing well, could include, you know, financial prosperity. It doesn't have to do just with speech. Hold, hold but on, cursing for sure is. Let me rephrase that. It's not non uh, non believers. It's non covenant members, because being a part sure, of the covenant did not guarantee belief. Uh, and then the other thing is, you've got Noah cursing and blessing, um, but he's not under that covenant. Although he is under the Noahic covenant. I, I don't know if I said that right. Yeah, there does seem to Sounds be right. something there. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah. Roundtree, I mean, respond. I would say that if if a if I go and bless someone or something, I don't think I, I just put it in the same category of, of prayer. Like if I pray according to God's will, He does it. If I bless something that God wants to bless, He does it. Um, cursing. It's weird for me to think about cursing. I don't go around cursing things and I can't think of a situation where I would, I don't have any fig trees in my backyard, but if I did, I'd be tempted. Um, so I guess I, I'd have a hard time, but I, I think part of what we're struggling with is, is some verb tense here, uh, and describing a, a God who is beyond time and created time. And so how do we even depict that? But there is like a curious phraseology in, say, Matthew 16, where it's a in a it's where the keys of the kingdom are offered to to Peter and then in 18 offered to the church. But the verb tense is like whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you uh, whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed on earth uh, in heaven. Sorry. So it's like when you do this. It was already done. It's like, wait, what? That's a really weird tense. But um, maybe there's something like this on it, guys. I, I just, I would have trouble with, and I don't think you guys would be okay with this. Can you just go around blessing and cursing willy nilly, and whatever you bless or curse because you say it and you're you, and you're a little god, well, you can. <laughs> No, okay, come I, threw, on. I threw that yeah. last. I threw that last phrase in. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good though. Well, I get, I get the reason for why because there is that characterization that fits that stereotype, right? So, uh, 
so then there's something I was going to mention on this because we, we, we've got the proverb where it says uh, a, a curse without a cause cannot stand. So it cannot come upon a man. But then you've also, we're also told not to curse, right? You know, you got James said, uh, you know, blessing and cursing coming from the same mouth. These things ought not to be. And so the implication is, as believers in Christ, we, there's nothing we should be cursing. Um, and then you do trees. have the example of Jesus cursing, cursing a fig tree, uh, which is a very interesting thing. Um, but it's meant to be an abject lesson that goes beyond the the ability of Jesus to curse. It's meant to to be a lesson about fruitfulness. So, um, man, I I don't know. So I don't know the answer. Let me, let me kind maybe Roundtree might be right that it's it's within the the sovereignty of God answering prayer in, in that same sort of category. So I'm I'm I don't think that it's that clear. Um, and I'm just okay with it. I'm I'm saying that one there is this idea that we have ontology as little gods, for example, to speak things into existence. And I would say categorically, I completely disagree with that. There's another category that says faith is, yeah, we all do. Yeah. Faith is this psychological certainty. And if I know it enough and I just, I'm, I've convinced myself and deluded myself enough to believe it and I speak it out, it will happen. We also disagree with that. Uh, and would, would accuse that of being witchcraft level manipulation. Not good. Don't do that. Um, that being said, is there a category in the scripture of blessing and cursing that I will admit I do not understand fully? I will just say yes. Um, do I think that there's a mystery there that God has used this, that believers and unbelievers, people who have had faith in the true God Almighty uh, and those who do not have faith in the true God Almighty have cursed Israel and and they've cursed Israel and have received punishment for doing that? Yep, I think so. Um, have there been those who have blessed Israel uh, with their speech? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, and, and God will bless them. So I just, I'm going to say that there is a mystery and it's, it's a category that's different than decreeing and declaring things. It's, it's a category different than speaking things into existence. Um, and I'm just, I'm admitting on air, like as we're talking about decreeing and declaring, though we disagree with those things, there does seem to be some wiggle room there that I just go, there's a biblical paradigm here that I don't quite understand. Um, and I think we should be cautious. I mean, if that's of, what when, you're when saying, I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, if that's if that's all you're saying, I'm on board with that because uh, sovereignty is deeply mysterious. And uh, how what is this interplay of of God's moving and my move, God's agency and mine? I mean, I'm always going to land on God's first. Uh, but how does that play out in real time? And and like because when we talk about blessing and and cursing specifically or declarations like there's a real i think some kind of agency that we have just like we have an agency to to pray certain things but at the same time god like was behind all that and ordered all that in in my mind so yeah uh, we're, we're touching in a in a space of profound mystery and, and i'm comfortable with that too Okay, so <laughs> I'd be interested to hear. Uh, well, I'm just I'm wondering if there's other research that can be done to talk about this because I'd imagine the idea of blessing and cu- cursing was probably uh, highly cultural, and that there may be For some sure. insight when you uh, dive into the culture a bit that we might get. But I, right now, I don't have the resource, and maybe we'll come on in another episode after I get more. And if any of you, you know, on the viewing end of this have resources about, you know, the, the history of blessing and cursing from a, 
Judeo perspective, I would love to have that resource or know more about it. Yeah. So let's let's dive into healing and talk about that in regards to healing. So there's this separate category. Uh, sure. Okay. So we talk about decreeing, declaring. There's this blessing and cursing thing that we're just admittedly, I don't know how that works. And then we have this other category of healing and the way that it works. Now, I want to articulate the community of people that say, we believe you can decree and declare healing. I'm not going to assume that there's a monolith, but I, I came from a community that believed that we could do that. Um, and there was a couple of arguments that said, this is why we can do that. Um, they would start, first of all, in uh, the, apostle, the, the, the the Gospels, right? In the Gospels, Jesus gives the apostles authority to do things like this. So in Matthew 10, 7 through 8, it says, As you go, uh, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. So they were given authority. They were commissioned by God to do these things. And we see like passages in Luke 9, 12, 9, 6, Luke 10, 1, uh, over and over, Jesus is saying, Hey, you go out and do this. So one, Jesus gives them authority to do these things so they can do them. And it, and it appears, you know, potentially the reason they're doing this on command, like be healed in Jesus name is because Jesus gave them authority to do that. They can do that. Um, that would be one of the arguments. Now, the next one would be that Jesus and the apostles never prayed for healing. They decreed it. So let's look at a few examples of that. I actually have some slides that I can pull in here. So Jesus decrees he doesn't uh, heal. Do, do one of you guys want to read that um, slide that I just tossed up there? Okay. Matthew 8, 13. Matthew? Then Jesus, uh, M- Miller can't read, Josh. Uh, okay. Matthew 8, 13. <laughs> then Jesus said to the, I shouldn't, uh, some people can't read. I shouldn't make fun. Okay. Then Jesus said to the centurion, <laughs> go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Uh, Luke 17, 13 to 14, and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Okay. So, yeah, those are the two verses. What point do you want to make, Josh? Oh, like, so in passages like that, you'll see that Jesus and the apostles don't actually pray for healing. They don't lay hands and say, you know, Father, I ask you to do this um, in my name, right? Right. So, because Jesus doesn't pray in His own name, anyway. But, but uh, uh, you know, like Lord, would you I do pray this? In my name. Please. He doesn't. He doesn't ask. He just. He just says, "Be healed," and people are healed. So you've got passages where Jesus um, he declares healing to be a thing, but then Jesus also touches people and they're healed. So here are a couple of passages, you know, Matthew 8, 3, uh, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. This is the man with leprosy. And he says, I am willing, be healed, be, uh, be clean. Immediately uh, he was cleansed, the leprosy left him, right? So Mark 3, 10, uh, similar passage, uh, for he healed many so that those who had diseases were uh, pushing forward to touch him. So there seemed to be something connected to the touching of Jesus. In, in Mark 5, 29, the woman with the issue of blood, she touches Jesus and immediately the blood stopped flowing. Mark 6, 5, uh, they, they laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, right? So he couldn't do any miracles except lay his hand on a few people and heal them. And it doesn't say how he does it. He just, there seems to be touch is the way that he's healing people. Uh, at sunset, the well, people, the, the, uh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to mention the woman that was uh, healed, uh, he didn't touch her, she touched him. And that's significant because it means there was no intention on the part of uh, Jesus to do that. Correct. Yeah. And that, so that, the, that, the that, touch that, thing is... Very much a yeah, part of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But so he, here's one thing though to consider. Like I could imagine. Okay, so you have the story where where they touch him, and uh, and in Luke eight it says that power came out from him, and he felt it in his body. Uh, 
And so it can happen that way. And But there's also him laying hands. And so the question is, and Josh, you said this, we're not told what happened when he laid hands. Did he lay hands on them and command it to go? Did he merely touch them and they were healed? Or did he lay hands on them and pray and that's how they were healed? So I think this is part of the challenge that I have with the argument that like, hey, you you don't need to pray for the sick. All you need to do is command the sick. Besides, there are some passages that we'll get to that do say pray for the sick. Um, but my understanding, the laying on of hands, it was a it, it was a thing you did when you prayed. Uh, Matthew 19, 13, it says the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. So it's very feasible that all these people he's laying hands on, it could be that he's praying for all of them. Now, so we don't know. And so to suggest that, like, we don't need to pray for the sick, we only need to command sickness, uh, I would say, again, there are other passages that we'll get to. Uh, I guess I can go ahead and, and quote it. Like James 5, the, you know, the elders of the church come and they'll anoint the sick for, with oil and they pray for them and that they are healed. And so there is a place for, that's a direct statement, but I would say indirectly in the Gospels, it seems to me that probably at least sometimes Jesus is praying for sickness to be healed. Okay, no, let me ask a, so a follow-up question to that, Michael. Would you say that prayer is exclusively requesting something from God? Because we, you know, I, yeah, I was thinking I, about the I know why, did recently. I, yeah, I know where you're going with that. You the word pray into your ask. Yeah, I, Miller, I like your delineation. I, I think it's a good one. Why don't you unpack that? The, well, it's the not praying my from delineation. heaven, praying from earth. Well, yeah. you got it from Wimber. I got it from Wimber, and it's not so much like praying from heaven. That sounds so uh, uh, gnar, gnarly, Michael. Uh, <laughs> I was saying, so John Wimber used to teach that there's there's prayers that go up to God and prayers that come from God. And the idea is that the prayers that go up to God are the ones where we're, we're bringing a request before God, like uh, in um, Philippians 4, 6, or 7. And then the the prayer that comes from God would be the prayer that that is um, a person operating as God's image bearer on his as delegated authority. And so that kind of prayer would be like eyes be opened, uh, prayers that Jesus similarly prayed, and then uh, prayers that the apostles prayed as well, which would be the uh, Acts chapter three, where you know silver and gold have I none, but what I give you I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Rise up and walk. Um, and so. That that seems to be trying to it seems to be a communication from God because it's done in that name and there seems to be some indicator that Peter knew what was going to happen uh, and that the command itself was sort of coming as though it was coming from God through Peter. I would I would have a different category for that personally. I would I would place that in the category of decreeing and declaring or prophecy or something like that. And and I'm not saying that those things can't happen because I, I think they do happen. But I'm just going to place that in a different category. Whereas the word pray, like an, even in old English, like I pray thee, Michael, to you know come come thine and bring a carton of milk. Right? Like you can ask in old English to pray to someone means to ask them for something. So I think that the the word pray is a category of requesting something from God. Requesting. Where, yeah, so so I don't, I, though I think that's a thing, and I know that, that, that Wimber would say, hey, you know, God prays, it's God's prayer through you or whatever. Okay, but God's not asking me for something. I'm, I'm more comfortable saying that's a decree. That's God declaring something. 
But again, it's just a different uh, I think category. They both work. I think it's yeah. I think it's just how do human beings systematize what is happening? Uh, sure. But in one way or another, I I mean, I will tell you guys, I can't think of a time I've in recent memory that I've prayed for the sick and haven't commanded something. I tend to do both. I mean, just practically, I don't know about you guys, but I'll tend to start out with prayer, just asking God to heal, and I tend to move into uh commanding things now but even on this uh, we have another delineation so there is the prayer which like if we want to go with josh's labels and and not use the wimber two kinds of prayer so you have the prayer which is like a petition god please do this and then the command which is like bone be done be you know be healed uh ligament be repaired in jesus name you know those kinds of things jesus says if you command a mountain to be moved it will be moved we see jesus commanding things but i would say that even that is different from what we might call a pronouncement a pronouncement being like um uh acts chapter three peter and john are on the way to prayer and he just tells the lame man to stand up uh, or Jesus saying, pick up your mat and walk like e- these are just pronouncements. There's there's not a command like be healed in Jesus name. There's not a request. Would God, would you please heal this person? It's just uh, this is how it is. So, Josh, maybe you're fitting that into decreeing and declaring. Um, and maybe that's it. it. I I kind of think of it as like commanding and pronouncing am i splitting hairs here josh or or do you see a difference no i I think i think we're we're saying the same thing using different words and i'm happy with those words they don't bother me i think that when we talk about things like prayer um i i think it's really important that we keep we keep the category of request um for our ontology like i think that when we start seeing supernatural things happen it's really important that we remind ourselves that we're asking god for things and we're not controlling things and people aren't coming to us. They're coming to God. And I think when right. we pray for sick folk, like it's important for us to think in terms of I am a servant. I'm asking God for something and not think in terms of I have a superpower that I can exercise. So, you know, I, I like using those categories for that reason is because I, I want to be reminded that I'm I'm like I'm just a worm, you know, like I'm just a bag of dirt. God is Amen, glorious. God dude. is worthy. Amen. And I want to come and ask, you know. Uh, that being said, like I'm right there, I'm right there with Michael when praying for sick people, I'm, there, there are moments and flows in which I, Hey, be healed in Jesus. I command that thing to come out or whatever, and have seen God supernaturally do things. So, uh, I think that you, you use the gift of faith. You, you see God, you know, empowering that maybe it's prophetic. Maybe it's a gift of faith. I don't know. Um, but I think, I think there's room for it. I think, though, when we're talking in these terms, and this is kind of get, getting back to what we were talking about originally, did Jesus laid hands? He laid hands on what does that mean? Uh, Jesus decreed, you know, hey, you are healed, be clean or whatever. What does that mean? I think it's important to, to think of this in terms of John 21, 25, where, where John says, hey, all of the stories of Jesus couldn't be written down in all of the books and all the libraries and all of the world. Like it would it would fill out every shelf. Um, there were so many things that Jesus said and did. And what that tells me is that the things that were written down were so extraordinary that they were not ordinary. So the ordinary healings that he saw all the time weren't the ones being recorded. It was the ones that were extraordinary. They, they seem to be, you know, uh, 
there's something, some quality of them that seemed so interesting. Oh, you see, he touched that leper and then said, be clean. Jesus isn't supposed to be touching a leper. There's something so unique about like picking up dirt and spitting it and turning it into mud and throw it into some guy's eyes. Like, that's so weird. We, we wrote down the extra weird ones. Like there was tons of prophecies that were taking place in Corinth. You know, why do we have this prophetic word of Paul taking off his belt, tying, or Agabus taking off Paul's belt, tying him up. Like, that's a weird story. Let's toss that one in there. There's something extraordinary about it, and that's why they were recorded. So I want to agree with Roundtree on that and say that there's something about these stories that we're, we don't see fully what they are. Um, and I do think that there is room when Jesus healed them all. Yeah. How did he heal them all? We have tons of verses where he talks about healing groups of people, and we don't have any recorded way of how he did that or how he went about doing that. So we have to keep that into consideration as well. Miller, did you have something to say? Well, I was just thinking like my, my default and you guys have been around me enough to know this probably, but my default tends to be uh, commanding things to happen rather than requesting. And I usually cover my bases with requesting after, (laughs) but it's because when I see healing examples, you tend to get a little bossy. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I just, you know me. I feel like even <laughs> even when you like come over to my house, you're like, Michael, make me a sandwich. Make me some dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get down uh, the mi- mountain, Michael. But but you, <laughs> but you do both. Do you, I, I remember do both. reading and maybe it was Wimber's Power Healing where he, I think I remember him talking about trying to be spirit led and which one you go with, whether the prayer the command or the pronouncement, whatever it is. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I just try to be spirit led the whole time I'm praying, but like, I think sometimes you also kind of have a default because I, I don't know, you, you don't always know what the spirit's saying. So you just, you pray and you command cause you see both in scripture. Has either of you ever done a pronouncement? Has any of you ever said you are I healed? declare bankruptcy. Stand- <laughs> Solid. <laughs> okay. Um, has any of you, I, I can't even get through this. Um, I, has any of you ever seen a healing where you said like a stand up and walk kind of healing? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I, Show on a couple off. of occasions. Uh, <laughs> on a couple of occasions uh, with flat feet or with issues with the legs, I've actually told people get up and walk. Um, and it's not me doing like sort of this yelling thing. It's more practical. Hey, get up, check this out. Um, uh, but I, do I actually don't think, well, I actually think that's how it was done. Hey, stretch out your hand. I don't think it was stretch forth thy hand. I just think that's, that's what he did. I you know what? That's interesting. I haven't hand. really read it that way. I've always read it like, There's not a lot like, of to it. Hey buddy, test it out. But more like, I've always read yeah, it like as walking. a, an altar call. Jesus I, was I wonder, like, I see that hand. I see that hand. Well, and, yeah. I, and I'd soon. also say, not pronounced healed, but I have told people things like, hey, I think the Lord has healed you. Um, come and let me know within a week or so, and I'll pray again if not. But I've had that happen where I felt power, uh, for lack of a better yeah. term. I, and, okay, and I've done that. I just didn't count that. Yeah. So here, here's the wording of Acts three: silver I and love gold. That Michael's like, "Hey, I've never seen a healing like this." 
um, and then turns it over to you guys. And then you're like, yeah, I've seen that. And he goes, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like I, Michael, I deserve it. I've Michael talked a lot of trash to be one up and is like, oh yeah, me too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of times. All right. So, uh, acts three silver and gold. I don't have, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Okay. Um, so Miller, you take that like, hey, test it out, buddy. And then Acts 14, uh, like 9 through 10 too, right? So yeah, he looked Paul directly at him. So yeah, Paul saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. And the man jumped up and began to walk. So so yeah, Miller, where would you land on that? Have you done, have you done what Paul did? Uh... Don't Has know. your handkerchief I, ever sure. healed anyone? And no, definitely not that. Um, and it's a sweat cloth, just to be clear. It's a handkerchief. It's like, you know, it just Stop. modern terms, we don't think of it that way. Uh, <laughs> I know, and I think there's contextual reasons for why it was a handkerchief or sweat cloth uh, versus well, it was handkerchiefs and aprons, I think. Yeah. Uh, yep. Well, I, I don't know, honestly. I can't quite remember. I mean, there was at the conference, I did some something weird and seemed to work dude and it, it's this is a crazy weird story dude tell he it. wouldn't share it he it. wouldn't share it the other day when i asked him to he oh on so this is the second time he's been pressured live to share the story okay correct I, i'll share it but just know like even on the front end i felt weird about it and it was like and understand when i say this it's not like i thought through this it's not like i was thinking to myself oh god how should i do this I would say that something came over me. Um, and when I say something came over me, it was just like this impulsive reaction to what I was just told. And so uh, it's, it's Alyssa uh, Wide. I, I don't know exactly how to pronounce her last name, but she had. Uh, I think it's Weed, Alyssa Weed. Weed, Alyssa Weed. She had what uh, she described a pain in this part of her shoulder or back. And I just. I don't know how to say it, but I was just sort of like angry about it. And I just walk over and put my hand on her back. And I said, I pulled this knife out of your back. And I said it very, you know, with a lot of umph to it. But it, again, it was just like autopilot. But when I did that, her back popped, just pop. And it's just like everybody heard it. And she took a breath, which she couldn't do without feeling a stabbing pain in her back. She took a breath and just started bawling, crying because there was no pain. Um, now, I've, I've had other occasions like this where with ears, where this thing just comes over me and I tell the ears, be open. And, you know, people will tell me it popped. Like recently I was in, well, the same weekend of the conference, I was at a church on Sunday morning in um, outside of Charlotte uh, speaking and a sim similar thing. Uh, I said, ears open up and a guy felt something sort of pop and liquid kind of drain out of his ears. And he had an inner ear issue where he couldn't close his eyes without getting dizzy and falling down. But he just kept his eyes closed for the rest of the service because he couldn't believe he could stand without his eyes being open. Um, but we can also so, say that like that's some it's it's not biblical in that we have an explicit example. But here are like unusual times that God heals in weird ways like John 9, 6 spits on the ground right. makes mud acts 515 just, peter's shadow 
right? Like you've got yeah, these weird yeah. accounts. You even got Old Testament people washing in the water, like cleanses them of leprosy. So I think you get led by the spirit in these moments. And I think that's okay. But I don't think that's also the normative feels, way that we pray for people. No, it's not normative for me. And it just feels weird to even share it because I just don't want people now doing the, anytime somebody's got back pain, oh, you got to pull the dagger out of their back or it's like, yeah, oh, I don't want to create a method out of well, it. Well, it, it makes me, yeah, first of all, I would agree with Josh that there is, there's a spirit led approach that like anytime I'm praying for the sick, I'm trying to pray at the same time that I'm trying to listen to what is the spirit leading me to do? Um, because I do, lo- I look at Jesus and it's like he, d- he hardly heals the same person or people in the same way twice. I mean, he does, but like th- th- there's such a diversity of how he does it. And I take it back to John five. He only does what he sees the father doing. And so, and so we want to be led by God and how we're going to pray for the sick. And so Miller, I know you to be a not weird person. And also you're not, weird <laughs> Oh, you know me to be plenty people. weird. I know. I'm talking I know. I've talked about all episodes, so I have to say a few nice things. But um, <laughs> but like you're not you're not weird when you pray for people. It, it's like the most normal thing in the world when you pray for people. But you will try to be led by the spirit. And uh, you know, I, I think for me, I I wonder and I didn't I didn't get to talk to this person who was healed afterward, but um the fact that you pulled the knife out of the back, like here, here's just a couple of thoughts. Okay. So when Jesus puts the mud on the person's eyes, um, there's, there is some resemblance there to like the creation story of like, uh, of like God making man out of dirt. And like some commentators will kind of make some connections about the symbolism of the miracle, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but let's imagine that, that there is some kind of, symbolism of the miracle. I mean, other miracles, we for sure know there is a symbolism, you know, in fact, all throughout John, you know, like uh, when he, when he heals the blind man in John nine, he, uh, he point, use it to point to, to the fact that he's the light of the world or the miracle of the bread and he's the bread of life that, that there's, there can be like a symbolic element. Well, here's where I'm going with this. Um, I wonder if the fact that you felt led by the spirit to pull a knife out of her back if there was some kind of uh, betrayal in her life that um, that coincided with when this back pain came on, and that it was like the spirit was doing a heart as well as a back healing, now I I couldn't know that without talking to her, but I'm just saying I I wouldn't put it past the Lord to um, to enact a healing in such a way that shows how much more profound the healing perhaps actually is. Well, so, I mean, here's the weird part with Alyssa is. When I asked her if somebody had stabbed her in the back, she couldn't give me any example. But I'm okay. telling you, when that happened, so you, it was like a significant pop. Oh, we've got so it you, on video. But you Michael. had the same thought I did. Oh yeah, you had the same. You had the same thought I did, huh? I did. Yeah. Well, I did after yeah. the fact. Like I said, it was it was sort of like an angry autopilot thing. Like I just something came over me where I was just like, this doesn't feel right. And I, I even just huh. talking about it, I feel that way. It's weird. Hmm. Uh, what, what were you gonna say, Josh? Well, well, I was just going to say that her testimony is on video. We reviewed it last week. Um, so you, you have her telling the story. I mean, she omitted the knife pulling part just like Miller did. That's why I was like, oh, Miller, you got to tell this whole story. She's probably like, like oh, this is too weird. <laughs> but, but like, it, you know, it, it is weird. And like, it's an odd thing. And there, I got no Bible verses for, I mean, maybe I have some, but like we were praying for someone recently that had migraines and went put her, my hand on her and, and I felt warmth in my hand. And then I felt the warmth in my hand subside very quickly. And I was like, oh. So we fixed it and I pulled my hand off and I was like, you know, Hey, you, 
you're, you don't have a headache anymore, do you? And she's like, no, it's completely gone. And it's like, I felt warmth when it was there and then it left. And I was like, oh, she's healed like easy. And I knew to stop praying and we didn't have to like spend a bunch of time praying because it was over. Um, and, and I've, I've again, physiologically have experienced things. I don't have a Bible verse for that. I'm like, ah, there it Dude. is. There's, you know, yeah, yeah. there's weird things that happen. I, I got another uh, and, weird one, man, from Saturday. Uh, okay, well, you tell in a second. I just want to. I want to okay. say say something else first on this story, uh, because I, I want to comment on on your anger, Miller. I think that's interesting because it makes me think of John chapter eleven, um, in verse thirty three, when it says, "So when G- so this is like Lazarus in the tomb for four days." So when Jesus saw her, uh, saw her weeping, the Jews came with her also weeping. So everybody's weeping. Lazarus is gone. It says he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And I remember preaching, I preached this a while back and I remember oh. kind of studying that word for, uh, the Greek word for deeply moved. And I wanted to like double check and make sure my memory right was right. And it was, um, so here's, uh, here's like, Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words. I'm just kind of looking this up live. I remembered it meaning to horse snort with anger. <laughs> okay. And that's actually what it says. Um, that this word means it primarily signifies to snort with anger as of horses. Um, and, and so it's translated deeply moved. It doesn't mean it's like a wrong translation. But what it's trying to communicate is that when Jesus sees Lazarus in this tomb, or, or when he sees all the people weeping and knows Lazarus is, is dead in the tomb, he's deeply moved, but it's like a, a visceral anger, like a hatred of death. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I, I love, I, we've talked a lot about Wimber this episode, but that I love that Wimber talks about when he says that, that Jesus always treated sickness like an enemy. And I think a lot yeah. of times in evangelicalism, we treat sickness like a friend because we believe in the redemptive value of suffering. And praise God, I believe in the redemptive value of suffering. And there is a tension there. We, we, should, we should say, yes, God redeems pain. But at the same time, we should look at the model of Jesus who treated sickness like an enemy. And when he saw what death was doing, uh, had done to his friend Lazarus and to this community, it created this visceral reaction inside of him and miller that's what it made me think of whenever you uh yeah whenever you talked about feeling this anger and and i think praying for the sick really is an emotive experience when you're entering into it the right way um and and i think sometimes anger uh most often compassion um but if you can pray for the sick with tears in your eyes and being deeply moved in your spirit and uh, and provoked even over what this has done to a person, uh, you'll I think you'll see a lot more healing. Yeah, well, I think, man, I, that's actually a very comforting verse to me because I felt really weird about that whole thing. Uh, and I, yeah, that is comforting to know because there's things that I see sometimes I just don't I don't share about it, some of it because I'm like, man, people are just gonna think I'm weird. Um, but I, so I'll tell you the story from this weekend. Yeah, I know. Um, Saturday, I'm down in Corpus Christi. I went to a men's meeting and my buddy, um, who's the pastor there says, Hey, do you have anything that you feel like the Lord wants to share? And I was like, yeah, I feel like the Lord wants to heal some people of, uh, a gluten allergy or allergy, allergy issues. And I said, I think it has to do with uh, a moment of idolatry in your life. Well, 
the worship pastor, Mark, came up to me afterwards, and I, I think he, he shared the story publicly at his own church. So I don't think he'd care me sharing it uh, on the remnant, but um, he came up to me afterwards. And he's like, dude, I, I took me a sec to kind of put it together, but I think something like this may have happened to me. And, and so he goes on to describe how he had worked at a gym where there was a guy who, who was from the mafia um, that worked there. That was his boss. And this guy just sort of tore him down to bring him back up. And in many ways, he would say that since then, he behaved differently. Like he had to be torn down and built back up. But, but in some way, this guy was his Lord. And so I, I walked him through a prayer of repentance. And then, um, and I don't know, I like after the fact, I was like, I don't know what I was thinking. Hold on. But I literally said, go. Well, no, the repentance part was fine. It's me, but I prayed well, after. What was he like, repenting hey, for? Was he. What was he repenting for? Because was, it sounded like he, he just repenting. got abused by a boss. Well, it's more than that. It's that he succumbed to the abuse and allowed him allowed that man to be his Lord rather than God. And so it's a form of idolatry when, when you let somebody else control your life like that. Um, and while, yes, he was being abused, no doubt about it, he was also submitting to it. Um, so anyway, uh, I had him pray a prayer of repentance. I then prayed for healing for the gluten allergy. And then right afterwards, I said, now go eat some, uh, go eat some bread. And he was like, man, I've always wanted to eat a cinnamon roll. I haven't eaten a cinnamon roll in 17 years. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. When, and it just was such a natural thing. Go eat bread. Well, I find out later he's deadly allergic to gluten. I mean, like his throat would swell up. His eyes would itch. I mean, this was no small thing. And he decided to go all out and went and ate the very center of a cinnamon roll like a huge bite of it, not just like a tiny little morsel, but just went all in and sat there just watching the clock and completely healed. But I didn't find this out how deadly allergic he was to it till after the fact. And I was like, we might, we might learn a pastoral counsel moment from this Miller of maybe asking people how allergic they are to something before we tell them to go eat something. But I'm telling you, it wasn't, it wasn't a thought process. It was just an autopilot kind of moment, like similar to what I'm talking about. Well, hey, okay, Miller, and I want to ask a clarifying question. We, um, guys, we are eight minutes from being done, and we need to tie a bow on this. Jesus and the apostles oh, yeah. decra- declared and decreed some things. Roundtree, go ahead and have another thought, but then I got to get us back onto this. Should we do this? Should we not do this conversation? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I just, uh, it's really about the abuse because I, I want to bring a clarifying point. It sounds like, okay, this was an employment situation where the guy had a real agency, he could have gone and found another job and he really submitted. I just want to bring clarity, Miller, because I don't think that you would say, like, let's say a wife is getting pummeled by her husband, that she needs to, like, repent for somehow, like, submitting to that or that a child gets abused. Like, you wouldn't walk a person through a prayer of repentance in those scenarios, correct? Like, that maybe this was a, a different kind of scenario, would you say? I just want to. Yes, I, yes. The, the reason this yeah, matters to me is that abuse it. victims really always, abuse victims naturally blame themselves. And as a pastor, I'm consistently trying to say, don't blame yourself. So I, I, I don't want no, people walking thank you away for the from clarifier. This thinking that they're at fault for abuse, yes. one, or two, counseling other people to repent for being abused. The person who needs to repent is the abuser. Um, but it does there it does sound like there was a unique situation here and that like he had total agency to leave this employment and uh and kind of made this person into a god so yeah uh, well, anyway, he, i just want to bring that clarity and it sounds like you're in full yeah. agreement okay so josh yes. uh, take us back okay 
Let's take us back into the Holy of Holies. No, okay, I'm just kidding. It's part of a song that was in my head. Okay, so here's the argument. You kind of heard us use those verses. We kind of walked through them. I put those scriptures on the screen. If you're watching the audio version, you might not have seen them, but you heard many of them. Uh, so Jesus and the apostles uh, didn't need permission uh, because they had authority. So they didn't ask for things. They didn't pray because they decreed things to happen. Uh, Jesus uh, and the apostles never prayed for healing. They decreed healing. And that's a statement like, it, it's, it's said just like that. Jesus never prayed for healing. He decreed it. The apostles never prayed for healing. They decreed it. Uh, they'll say, they'll, they'll give those examples. And then they'll say they're, they're unusual ways that healed, but, but none of these are them requesting things. They're decreeing it. Uh, then they would go on to say that Jesus purchased healing in the atonement, which we've done episodes on this. You have to get our thoughts unpacked fully on that. But we don't have a huge visceral reaction to the idea that healing is in the atonement. Uh, and, and we should follow the example of Jesus and the apostles. So can I just take a pause and say, it's a good thing to follow the example of Jesus and the apostles. And if you're out there and you believe that healing is purchased in the atonement, like we do, even though we believe in a nuanced version of that, um, I think that there's more room to decree and declare healing because of the examples we have in scripture than decreeing and declaring nearly anything else. So do I think it's our normative mode to go around decreeing and declaring? No, I actually think the prescriptive command of James 5 supersedes the narrative um, uh, articulation of what happened uh, in, with Jesus and the apostles. Yet, I do believe through the leading of the Spirit, it's biblically permissible to do things. I also would say that the statements that Jesus and the apostles never prayed is an overstatement. So like in Acts 28, 8, uh, you'll actually see that uh, Paul went in to see him after prayer, uh, uh, placed his hands on him and healed him. So in Acts 28, 8, we actually see Paul praying for someone who is sick. Uh, in James 5, 14 through 16, we actually see verses where you confess your sins to one another. You pray the prayer of faith and someone is healed. They're restored. And then we have all these verses from Jesus where, uh, you know, Matthew 4, 28, uh, 8, 16, 12, 15. These are all in Matthew. So Matthew 8, 16, Matthew 15, uh, 12, 15, Matthew 14, 14, Matthew 15, 30, and Matthew 19, 2. Uh, are all of those verses, you have Jesus healing them all, but it's not describing how he healed them all. So we just don't know if Jesus never prayed. We don't know if the apostles never prayed. Uh, we, we just don't have all of those examples in there. So uh, though I would say that there is biblical room for declaring someone healed or decreeing a healing through a gift of faith or a gift of prophecy, God's supernatural sovereignty and orchestrating an event, I absolutely think it's it's possible. I'm just not saying that that is our normative model, um, but I would create room for it in in a model. That that's where I'm landing on it. What do you guys think? I'm in the same place. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And I would say that it seems as though, like it, for instance, you you quoted Acts 28 that connected the laying of hands and prayer. That's such a consistent connection that. I think we can make a strong case that when Jesus was laying his hands on people, he actually was praying for them. So to say Jesus never prayed for the sick would be incorrect. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, what would you guys say about, uh, okay, let's go with Kenneth Copeland decreeing and declaring that COVID-19 is over. Uh, why is that a bad thing? Miller, why don't you go? Uh, well, because when Kenneth does it, he thinks that he has the authority to make COVID go away. And he says, even when he did it, he says he did this as a prophet of the Lord. So he was claiming mm -hmm. the status to make it go away, which is actually kind of frightening considering that when you read 
in the scriptures about pestilence, it seems like it's the Lord. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. Do you guys recall that That'd passage? Be a good, that'd be a good Yeah, God episode. doesn't rebuke God, yeah. And if you go, there's three separate videos. I know everyone's got their favorite, you know, Kenneth Copeland remix video <laughs> of, of him, you know, cursing COVID-19. So there's a bunch of versions you can pick from. But we uh, did a 2020 marathon, it's an eight-hour marathon, reviewing all the prophetic words from 2020. Copeland gives a prophetic word early on in the pandemic, just reading, I think it's in January, like real, no, nah, it can't be January. But he gives a, a beginning of year prophecy. And he goes, hey, this thing, COVID-19, it's going to end real quick. And then it doesn't happen. And then he comes back and he's like, you know, standing in the office of a prophet, you know, I command COVID-19 to go. And then and there's another video with him and like other people standing there and I, I, I curse you, I bind you, I, I burn this thing. You know, like he just, you know, so there's, he just doubles down on it. Like he declared it to be done, didn't happen. Declared it to be done, it didn't happen. He declared it to be done and it didn't happen. And all the while and almost in every single video, he is saying it as if God is revealing to him that it's over. It's not just... You know, you know, I stand in the authority that Christ has given me and I curse that, you know, I've got a weird story. And this is before I would say I had a lot of theological robust, you know, uh, I say robust that maybe that's yet to be determined. But I, I had way less theological instruction and in education than I do now. Uh, and, and I would drive to and from school and there was a sports bar that would be the equivalent of like a Hooters, you know, uh, except worse. And, and as we drove by it, I would, I would drive by it on the way to school on the way back from school. And I would curse the thing like God, like I would ask that you would shut that establishment down. Like I curse that establishment. You know, I ask people that go there, get food poisoning. I mean, I, I would really like, I'd go after the thing. I'm not saying I should have done it. I'm just saying I did it. There was construction that happened on that road and all of the, all of the, uh, uh, restaurants stayed open except for this one. And it shut down. Um, mm. I it's need a weird your faith, thing. dude, because every time I, I drive know. by DW's video store, like my whole family curses it in the name of the Lord, and it's still open. <laughs> there it right is. Right down I-35 on the way back you to the You gotta keep going, bro. I curse it every time. Yeah, it's like Do a, it, bro. It's a little family ritual. <laughs> but I just need faith, man. Bro, I'm telling you what, dude. I think I'm... Here's Here's an interesting thing, though. Like... Michael, you can weigh in on this, bro. You're you're Mr. Revelation, but like in in the New Testament, you have these guys who they release plagues on the earth as they see fit. Um, that's an interesting thought, you know. And I think that there's something to be said about delegated authority when it comes to blessing and cursing. Um, and and I think that when you look at things that you can say objectively, that is not God's will. Like you know that strip club, that is not God's will. Like what would happen if Christians passed it and cursed that establishment in Jesus' name? Uh, and then prayed subsequently that the people that were in that establishment would get saved and find better jobs or whatever, um, you know, doing righteous things. Like, would that actually change things? Like, I'm inclined to think that it would. Like, I, I think that the greatest danger right now in the Christian walk is to think that prayer doesn't work. And even if you're a cessationist out there watching this video and you don't believe that God heals, you know, to the capacity he did in the New Testament, but he can do it sovereignly. I think that you would agree with that statement. I think that you would agree with the idea that God answers prayer and prayer actually does something and Christians should actually pray as if their prayers are doing something. Um, and when we see evil in the world to lift up prayer and asking God make petition that he would destroy the works of the devil and establish his kingdom in those spaces. I think that's a good thing. So e even when I look at people that are decreeing and declaring healing in a way that I think might not be extremely sound biblically, like I also see that there's like a lot of wiggle room on this subject for healing that I'm, I am willing to embrace. Like I'm, I'm willing to work with an individual who 
every time they get into a healing situation, they're decla- declaring healing in Jesus name. I decree it. You know, I'm like, man, yeah. I just, I don't, I wouldn't have well, a problem working with that person. Uh, yeah. As I, much. I don't have a, I delegated authority. I'm comfortable with that. Um, and, and maybe this distinction helps too. Um, I'll just read. This is when the disciples can't cast out the demon. Oh, faithless, twisted generation. You know, Jesus cast the demon out. And the disciples ask, why couldn't we cast it out? This is Matthew 17. He said, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain. So the context is saying to a demon, go. Now he's going to say, say to this mountain, go, move from here to there, and nothing will be impossible for you. But the key is faith. And I think, Josh, the big difference is faith is not confidence in me. Faith is confidence in God. So if I'm commanding a demon to go... It is my confidence in God by which I'm speaking authoritatively over that demon or for that matter over a sickness. Um, But I think where we get into trouble is where the confidence is actually in myself. And uh, like the confidence is in me and my authority to be able to tell this and like, hey, your words create worlds. You can go out and do this. So my faith is actually in me in that situation. Sometimes I've heard it called putting faith in your faith. And I think that's kind of accurate. Like that, no, faith means confidence in God. And so that's, that's the way we move in authority. And if it's confidence in God, then that delegated authority keeps a clear line between us and God in submission to God versus walking around willy nilly and commanding things as, as we wish, according to our supposed. Good old Dawson. I'm going to tag Dawson in with this one. Good quote. All this stuff is because of rugged individualism. I blame everything on it. Uh, if you want to get Dawson talking about like, if you want to get him going, like really, like, wh- how, how do they say it? Crank his firing him up. Or, yeah, if you want to fire, if you want to fire his gears, up, just just say, hey, Dawson, tell me a little bit about rugged individualism. He will blame everything on it. Uh, but I'm inclined uh, to believe that he's probably right on this. Like, this is yeah, the reason individualism decreeing and declaring gets into weird space is not because. We don't see it in the Bible. It's because people think that they own that power. And like, that's mm-hmm. not good. Uh, it, it is a faith thing. I like that Michael brought it back to Jesus. Yeah, it's say to the mountain. Why say to the mountain? Because you trust God. It's faith in him, um, not in your ability. I think that's good. I'll make this Thanks, my uh, closing thought you here. Like but this is actually a conversation I had with Dawson a while ago where uh, we would say that the distinction is not author- we don't have the authority of Christ. We have authority in Christ. Amen. That's good. Mm-hmm. That, like that slight that. altercation changes it. Uh, say it again for the people in the back. One implies, yeah, well, one implies the authority of Christ applies its hours, whereas the authority in Christ, it, it simply means on his behalf and his name um, as his image bearer. I like that's, it. That's good. it. Guys, Ooh. thanks for tuning in to this program, Millie and, uh, and Round Trees. Thank you for uh, contributing to the program. Uh, I hope uh, a Miller can, you know, have forgiveness in his heart and decree blessing over me for finally updating the intro video. Uh, and for the rest <laughs> of you who are out there who are watching this episode of Remnant Radio, you guys, uh, if you choose to support the channel, there are links in the description. Two top links can give to PayPal or Patreon. If you give on PayPal, it's a one-time gift. But if you want to give on Patreon, it's those five bucks a month. You get access to extra content there on that platform. Uh, guys, we love you. Hugs and kisses. We'll see you next Monday and Wednesday potentially Tuesday, we don't know, uh, between 4 and 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. We'll see you next time.
want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.